This episode is brought to you by Sax.com. At Sax.com, it's easy to find your new vibe. Dive into the Western trend with gold cowboy boots from Stott. Or go full 90s throwback with platforms from Prada. You can shop for everything on your agenda. Whether it's a breezy Zimmerman dress for a garden party or a bright Chloe blazer for brunch. Find inspiration for your new vibe. Every day at Saks.com. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify. The global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. The late Ursula K. Le Guin wrote, Our roots are in the dark. The earth is our country. Why did we look up for blessing instead of around and down? What hope we have lies there. And it is down there, among roots and earth, that black trans gaming designer, archivist, and artist, Daniel Brathwaite Shirley, is looking for our black trans ancestors, those whose lives and stories have been lost to history and thus our collective memory. But Danielle believes we are each responsible for someone in the earth, and through her work calls us to interrogate the roles we play and the ongoing violence directed towards our trans siblings. Her approach to this interrogation brings together AI and game design and places us in situations where we have to make choices, choices that can feel impossible. And that is quite the point. In our conversation today, we explore how she provides space and means for the expression of multiple black trans essences, disrupting ideas about what an archive is, what we think it should do and who it should serve by centering those whose lives and stories have been erased how her residency at Serpentine, one of the UK's most important contemporary art galleries, is helping shape her understanding of the potential of humanity, and her ongoing research into and fascination with creating a black trans AI that speaks back and makes decisions for itself. I'm Josh Rivers, and I'm Busy Being Black with Danielle Brathwaite-Shirley. Danielle, thank you so much for being here with me and with Busy Bee and Black listeners. I am such a fan. I've been a fan and I'm really, I'm honored that you're here. So thank you so much for making time for me. Thank you so much for having me. I'm super excited to be here and I can't wait to see what conversation we're going to have. I open the show with the same question for all my guests, mostly. How's your heart? Well, this is a complicated question for me right now. Um, I've had some like hard news recently um, and it's made me really consider if I'm doing a good enough job in terms of archiving and recording. Um, and so my heart right now is in a place where I'm thinking about collecting black trans thoughts uh, that sounds very vague but it, it more means just of trying to 
begin another kind of archive to try and cover more bases um, and get more of um, someone's way of telling a story rather than um, it being through a project is actually just through dialogue with them. I love this idea of documenting thoughts in an archive. I've, I've been reading Jafari S. Allen's new book, um, There's a Disco Ball Between Us. You know, there's also Dagmawi Wubshet's book, The Calendar of Loss. I mean, there's any number of books in which the author or the academic or, you know, the person, the voyeur, is kind of exploring the interior life of mm. multiple subjects to help bring their their like lived experience to life, as it were, through kind of an archival practice. Mm. I'm thinking of Saidiya Hartman and mm -hmm. her critical fabulation, right? Mm. That so much of that rests upon this idea that we can bring people to life through how they think. Right. There's really something to how people tell a story and how one person will recount an example of something that's happened to them in their life. And the way they tell that is everything about the story. It's not just about the words they used, it's about how they drew those images in your mind. And often that's what I'm trying to capture, the essence, I, I call it the essence of someone. It's that part of the story that you can never retell, regardless if you had all the words there or not, or if you had a camera set up on them. It's like the way information is filtered through a person is what I see more as what I want to archive um, and what hasn't been archived. And I know a lot of um, us, uh, in which I, by which I mean us, the Black trans people have just been ignored in history and have been lost to like the ways of time. But to me, I can't start at the place where archives are because <laughs> those places where they're already at have the erasure of us within them. And so the reason I start at this kind of idea of essence and capturing an essence is because to me, that's the closest thing I can um, grasp onto when I think about black transness. I think of an, an essence, a way of being rather than things said or done. And so what does it take then to bring that essence to life? Like what 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 steps do you have to go through to get to that place where you feel you can approach the essence of someone? Right. You have them in the project from the word go. So something that we do, which I really um, am strong, uh, have really strong feelings about is having people there at the beginning of the project when you don't have an idea of what you're doing and having them in the room to have those conversations of what should we do? And especially if I come to archive you, Anything I make beforehand is useless because I haven't even met you yet. I don't even know what structure you might need. Right. Okay. So you know what? I'm going to stop there just because I think we are approaching archive in two different ways. Mm -hmm. And this is probably speaks to something we should talk about in, on this, <laughs> in this conversation. So I'm looking backwards. Right. <laughs> and you're looking forwards. Yes. Right. So, <laughs> so this is really important. So maybe let's let's define what you mean by archive. So what I mean by archive in my project is storing black trans people in the present so that we have a marker for those um, who are going to exist or will exist in the future. So that's a really important distinction that that you're archiving from now forward. Then the question comes in how I talk about it and display it. 
So the reason I display them as archives is because you get everyone interested in archives to look at that and look at it as an archive and say, why, who is this? Who's this person? When did they exist? Um, why is this like this? Um, and so I, I guess it's around the, that's why I'm, when I'm often talking about the work, it changes depending on the scenario I'm in because I'm wanting to get those people's attention. So that's why I straddle the line between calling myself an archivist and a video game designer because the gap is in both. And so I'm trying to use both languages to fill that gap. I think that my, that my approach to this conversation is informed by the politics, is informed by politics and structure, mm -hmm. right? That, mm -hmm. that I was trying to place your work as I engaged with it in an historical context right. versus a future context. And I want to labor this point only because I think that what you're offering here is, is potential, is, is, is another kind of potential, right? Mm. Because then the question is, you know, when one is looking at an archive, well, why has this person been archived, right? Because I think that, that history is full of um, great, impactful, you know, I'm putting right. quotes around all of these, of course, um, people who are supposed to have done something remarkable. And I think actually your work is calling us to notice something quite different. Exactly. And I think that question, why is this person archived, is such a good question, because it's actually the first question I ask anyone who's involved in a project. I say, well, I, I turn it around and say, what do you think about your life is worth archiving? And that's the first question. And the answer is always, I have no idea. And it's so interesting to, to also include the word worth there because often they don't think anything is worth archiving. They don't think they are worth recording the most uh, intricate parts of their life, yet they do not want to be lost to history again. And so there's this, there's this internal battle between themselves because they have this idea of, I don't have the worth to be archived in that way. And I know that people like me have existed and I have no proof to see or to look at. And so this question about why should we archive them or why they should be archived now is because it seems to not have been done. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, I, and I'm saying it seems because I, I assume it has been, but the it seems is important because I'm saying that the people around me have nothing to look back on and we need to change that as quickly as we possibly can. So let's make things that people can look back on now, <laughs> basically. Yeah, I think it's a really profound intervention, right, on, a, on any number of levels. And, you know, I guess my next question really revolves around how you've come to a place where you think that you're the one who can do this work, this, ar this archiving, mm. this straddling this line between artist, game designer, archivist like what brought you to this place like how do you feel assured in this work that you're doing yeah so the, the one thing that makes me think that what well, we can do it is because I don't do it by myself right I never I'm never um I'm precious about my ideas of what the project should be when I begin it and everyone I work with um we essentially create a black trans team and that team are the people being organized and they make the decisions on the smallest things so they can decide. So for example, blacktransarchive.com or we're here because of those that are not, became a game 
a multiple choice game because of the questions the group asked. And it went online because someone asked, how can you make this accessible? And we said, ah, good, great question. We can put it online. And then I think it was the same or a different person asked, well, if it's online, anyone can access it. So how do we make sure that the archive protects itself? And that's how you got the entire game. It was by questions from the people involved in, in thinking about it, in producing it, in making it. And so I, d I don't feel like I have the power by myself to do it. I don't think I, I am necessarily a great archivist or have these like genius ideas, but I think that one thing I can do is make sure I can hold together a group of people that I feel are really important and have things to be recorded and heard. Yeah, and I hope that question didn't sound like, who do you no, think no, you no. are? <laughs> no, no, no. Come on. We, we've got to think about the artist ego here. Artists have such big egos. <laughs> um, because again, it's 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 it it beckons to others to say you can too, right? That like it doesn't require um, some grandiose title or what what have you, whatever is required of the system slash structure of us in order to feel empowered or emboldened to to do this work is actually being done all around us all the time. Exactly. And the Black Trans Archive is a really wonderful example of that. Yeah. And something I always say is that <laughs> like I don't mind if you steal my ideas. If you're black and trans and you steal the idea and you do a better version, that's the point. Um, and <laughs> and I had someone actually who made a, another black trans archive and sent it to me. And it was amazing. I loved it. I think I think it was better than mine, to be honest. Um, <laughs> but it was really beautiful. Uh, and I think that's something that's not so much uh, wanted in the art world. Often people are very scared about their ideas being stolen. But for me, the more Black trans imagery out there, the more people making it, the, the better. It doesn't matter if it makes us obsolete because it's important that the voices are heard. <laughs> it's not really about the, the work being great. It's about the voices being heard. So still. Uh, it, yeah, it feels so affirming to hear as well, right? So um, that's what you want. This kind of like protective scarcity that we are kind of compelled to, that drives us to, to protect, if, again, with air quotes, mm. our quote unquote intellectual property as if every idea has not been already informed by another one. Um, I love this break away from that. Yeah, and, it's, and it really goes back to like, I really believe about the way someone tells a story is how you archive someone. And so for me, if someone steals all the visuals, it doesn't matter because it's the way you use those visuals to tell the story that's important, not the visuals themselves. So, which is why I'm always very, every time I work with someone in the, the contract, they tell me what they want to be credited as. And so they choose the role. And so if they wrote director, that's completely fine. Um, if they wrote sound designer, actor, main artist, doesn't matter, I'd put it on. <laughs> it really doesn't matter to me as long as they choose what they want to be um, archived as and um, what position they essentially want in the small company we make while we're producing the work. This is I Don't Want No Turfs, part of the soundscape Danielle created to accompany the Black Trans Archive.
So I was playing again. I, can we address this as well? Because when I say game and I say playing, I feel like it diminishes the work. But I, but and so, can you talk me through like, yeah. whether I have the right language here? So I approached the Black Trans Ar- Archive. We are here because of those who are not. With I guess a kind of semi-formed idea of what to expect. Mm. You know, being familiar with your work over the years. And what I experienced was not that at all. And so like using the word game and play for me, it feels like it diminishes what's actually happening there. You mentioned earlier that you kind of toe this line between archivist and game designer. And yeah. one could argue that in the world that we live in, archivist is more of an esteemed approach to work or life or art than is game designer. So can you, is the language that I'm kind of, that I feel is diminishing reflective of, of something you've experienced or is game and play the right way to refer to how I interacted with that work? Okay, so now we have arrived at the point where we are finally like meeting the language of gaming that we've made and we've established on top of it and almost limiting what we think games can do. Because my perspective, and I'm a huge um, game history kind of person, so I think of um, the first Super Mario that came out on the NES, came out in 1987, and in the same year, this game called um, Moillo uh, by Muriel Tramis came out. And her game is archiving her experience um, in Martinique and the history within Martinique. So she was using games to archive something that was very true to her life. And this is the same year gaming came back to the, the world with Super Mario Brothers. And so at that point, I see gaming splitting off into two um, camps, one where it's trying to tell real life accounts in a new way and using gaming as a way to experience that journey and that history rather than just to hear it. And the other one is where the language of play and entertainment comes in with Super Mario Brothers. And I think over the years, there's been a dilution of who's allowed to make games and who we let into that gaming sphere. And so this language of play and entertainment has become the dominant form of language to talk about games. And so when people talk about games, they don't consider them as art or the possibility to archive someone more adequately than um, a file in a room. They instead think of it as something to be thrown away and enjoyed um, as a privilege. And that's where, for me, gaming and archiving meet because I see potential engines that are just not being used right now. And all of these game engines have so much and can do so much in, in, the, in which I mean, the ways they guide you through a story and then reflect the choices you make is something only games can do. And after a while, that stops becoming play and starts becoming reflection. And so that's kind of where I'm trying to mush the two together. I think you did that. Yeah. So. <laughs> and, and not only through the, the, um, the questions that are put forward as part of that, you know, you have to make a decision throughout the course of this game and a link for listeners. Um, you'll find a link to the Black Trans Archive in the show notes. You know, you, you, you've got these questions that we have to answer for ourselves first before we engage with the game as we're sitting here across from it. There's also the kind of incredible soundscape and narrative that it attends the game as well. Um, and then there's the kind of actual participation in the game. And that participation from my engagement with it is that it requires me to center myself in some ways which made me uncomfortable as I was doing it right and I I guess that's by design right exactly (laughs) 
exactly yeah so originally I um actually when I pitched the idea there was a lot of conversation by the non-black trans people about the archive should be educational and should tell us about black trans people and it, I obviously didn't want to do that because I'm tired of basically seeing work about black trans people that isn't um, made with them in mind and is instead made with another target audience in mind. And so from the get go, our target audience was black trans people. So that's who we want to center. And so we have to decenter everyone else because by design, uh, the kind of society we live in does that to black trans people. And so the first thing to do is to center black trans people in everything and then decenter those who are not black and trans and then have them go on a journey where they start thinking about their choices in reference to how society looks upon and doesn't archive black trans people. Yeah, there's a there's a point in the game where you have to choose one of three paths. And I was so nervous. I was <laughs> like, <laughs> you know, and I guess because of my experience with Black trans friends and, you know, we share a mutual friend in Travis Alabanza, yeah. you know, and, and being informed by that, by the art that the Black trans community creates, I kind of, part of my trepidation about making the choice was I know what, I, I, I have some understanding from, mm. from what you all have said about your experience that neither of these is going to be very nice, right? That I'm going to have to kind of force myself into a situation or choose a situation that is beyond my control. And that relinquishing of control really stuck with me. I thought, my God, like I, I have to make a decision. I have to leave the house. Mm. And I love that you put it like that because that's how we feel when we fill out just forms <laughs> and right. there was something like that conversation was actually in the room at the time and there was a kind of debate around if we make people pick their identity isn't that what we have to do ourselves and then another conversation was exactly so everyone else should have to do that yeah because so, I felt the judgment I felt the judgment <laughs> and when I had to say I was cis I was like oh shit you know, like <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> and everyone was like, I don't fit into these boxes neatly. And I was like, exactly. Right. <laughs> and because we had a lot of people actually uh, message me after and say, there's no non-binary option. There's no non-binary option. And I say, well, the option that the non-binary people picked in the workshop was trans. And so you are included, but not neatly. And that's the whole point that like, you cannot have gender so neatly packaged. It doesn't include everyone, regardless of what the words are. Yeah, and I guess like there's always going to be someone left out, right? Exactly. exactly. Yeah, there's always going to be, you're always going to have to choose something. I remember actually, this is really, I guess, related to our um, lived experience in a number of ways, but having to choose when I went to school in the States, there wasn't, or high school in the States, there wasn't actually a checkbox for like mixed white and black. I had to either be black or white. And mm. I remember thinking that was so odd and always checking white because I just thought it was so stupid <laughs> and that it was arbitrary, right? I felt right. it was arbitrary. Like, what does it matter which box I took? And it's, I didn't ever think about that experience again until I started getting invested in the issues that trans people were facing mm. and mm. my role within it. And I thought, my God, this, this tick box exercise that I could quite comfortably fill out whatever I wanted actually has a much um, a much more insidious function right. in society. Right. Yeah, yeah. And it's it's actually interesting to know, and I want to go too much into this, but how also galleries use those tick boxes to make money. It's very, very interesting. 
um, how, especially when I was just starting out, how trans people were being carted out for certain themes, mm-hmm. um, which is which is very not comfortable and really not nice. Um, but they're they're started to become, and this is the reason I made the Veterans Archive actually, but they will start to become this kind of idea of what trans art should be. And people started getting quite bold in asking trans people to make that particular art because they assumed that they had the power to do that, to tell you what to make. Right. Yeah, and so it's a weird, it was a, so I knew for me at the moment I knew the exhibition or showing that work was successful was because a black trans person came up to me and said, I was waiting for the moment where trauma was gonna come out and it never did. And I was like, yes, <laughs> that's my gold star. Yeah, you know what? I You've made me think of my experience at Tate Modern when they had Soul of a Nation on. Mm, oh yeah. And I think there's something about talking about there's something about looking at ins- the enslavement of Black people in America, in England. <laughs> yeah. Does that make sense? Like there's something, yeah. something happens across the Atlantic when, it cr- when, that, when, that, when that exhibition crossed the Atlantic. Because the way I engaged with it and the way my Black British friends engaged with it was too, I mean, it, it couldn't have been any different, right? Like it was mm-hmm. remarkably different. There was a, a particular a piece of art, which was a deconstructed um, piece of technology. It was a technology for lynching, basically. And the piece was called lynching. And you don't see a rope. You don't see, you know, there isn't that kind of really famous image of the white men watching, white mm-hmm. people, I should say, watching that um staring at the the lynched man um but it was in proximity right and mm-hmm. so you could see this kind of deconstructed mechanism that helped hoist mm-hmm. up these bodies and i just burst out crying right because mm-hmm. that's that felt visceral i felt that because my family is black american right like mm-hmm. we i understood that in my bones and i felt like that exhibition was very voyeuristic i felt this d- doesn't feel right to be here yeah, we had a, um, I actually went around with a group of uh, black people actually, which was really nice. That's the only time um, I went around the gallery with a group of black people to take. And um, we found it very strange because we were confused about why this, like it was, the work was amazing, but it was confusing why it focused on America and Tate is literally, <laughs> the history of Tate is very <laughs> obvious. We don't even have to talk about that. But yeah. like, essentially the conversation around like black um, enslavement throughout the UK doesn't happen in galleries. You don't get it. You do not get that conversation happening. And I I can completely understand why it feels voyeuristic because it exactly was. (laughs) It was exactly like this America had did this and this is the response to that. Look at that. Um, Yes. It didn't like, it, it wasn't really, it would make sense if like they had done every, for the whole year they had programmed, we're gonna to go to certain parts of the world and do shows based on art made about um, slavery, racism, history, uh, empowerment, but they don't. <laughs> they did that show. And then I think they did a completely different show after that. So um, <laughs> I feel like there's, there's a huge, huge disconnect between um, trauma and enjoyment of art. I feel like there's a very strange, um, playing like behind the scenes playing with 
certain kind of images and lives um, in order to attract us, but not really, again, have us at the center of the audience. Yeah, to attract us, but not to speak to us. Exactly. Busy Being Black will return in just a moment. This episode is brought to you by Sax.com. At Sax.com, it's easy to find your new vibe. Dive into the Western trend with gold cowboy boots from Stott. Or go full 90s throwback with platforms from Prada. You can shop for everything on your agenda. Whether it's a breezy Zimmerman dress for a garden party or a bright Chloe blazer for brunch. Find inspiration for your new vibe every day at Saks.com. I'm Josh Rivers, and you're listening to Busy Being Black. Today, I'm in conversation with gaming designer, archivist, and artist Danielle Brathwaite-Shirley. In October 2021, Danielle began a six-month R&D period with the arts technologies team at Serpentine, where she has access to their knowledge banks, labs, and production capabilities. She's interested in creating a sentient black trans AI empowered with decision-making and agency, and which cannot be told what to do. You've got this residency at Serpentine, one of our most celebrated galleries here in the UK. I mean, probably in the world, right? One of the most well-known galleries. Um, talk, to, talk to us about what the purpose of this residency is and what Serpentine's uh, resources are helping you explore. Right. So one of the main questions I had actually after the Arabite show, which is called She Keeps Me Damn Alive, was how can I stop people from being passive? I had a lot of people come into the gallery and stand there and watch people play. And uh, people often talked about their experience of watching someone play, but avoiding playing themselves. And I obviously got mad at that. Um, and people would say, oh, I just watched someone play and I would go back in there and play. And so my main question with the Serpentine to start with actually was, how do I stop that? How can you be, your presence be enough to activate a game, to enough to control what the game wants to do and how it should be completed? And so what we're working on is basically reading your body and bringing your body into the game live and deciding on how you're looking at something that you think is not part of something, that you think is not connected and how that may end up um, destroying everyone else's experience. <laughs> and um, it's a multiplayer game as well. And so it's, it's a multiplayer game that you won't realize you need to collaborate until it's too late. <laughs> wow. And so the, I mean, it's the main way to complete the game. And it's not a spoiler telling you this, is you have to work collaboratively with everyone in the space. If one person doesn't work, you cannot get the ending for the game. I can't wait to do this, <laughs> oh <God. laughs> to experience this. Yeah, we'll but see. What's, yeah. what's this process like of like... Oh, it's hard. <laughs> it's a very hard process. It's very, it's very confusing, to be honest, but it's really exciting. Um, it, it feels a bit more like making a um, escape room mm. and... Um, but building it out of concepts around supremacy and getting rid of supremacy and um, almost tricking people into being themselves so that we can then show them that's, that that has an effect and what that effect may be or is in this space. Right, because if you're reading people's bodies on entry and they're in a situation in which they're scared, that fear is reflected back to them. Exactly. It's quite hard. It's actually quite hard to think about first of the things you want to look at 
and draw data out of. Um, well, my first one that was a no question one that had to go in is people's eyes, what they look at. But the first thing they do is they look at because the eyes betray us all. <laughs> yes, they do. <laughs> they, they have a mind of their own. We do not have control over them all the time. But that to me is perfect because I want those slip ups. I want those, um, you stared at my chest too long and now I don't want to look at you. Um, now I don't want to speak to you. Things like, <laughs> things like this. Or um, something I, I often dream of is getting people to leave galleries. And I know everyone's usually like, we need to get them in, we need to get people in. But yeah, for yeah. me, um, I grew up loving horror haunted houses. I want to make something that someone says, I don't like this room. It's done so well. I don't like being in here and I need to go. And that for me is a successful room. And it says something because it might mean that you have to stay in that room. Someone has to stay in a room they don't feel comfortable in because you need to do that for us. You know, you need to do that for others that you're not thinking about. And so it's, it's like, again, to go back to your question of how, how's it feel doing it? Very mm. confusing, extremely, extremely confusing. Um, I think there's gonna be a lot of tests and I'm gonna get a lot of things wrong, um, but I think that's okay. What did um, Tony Morrison say? The grandeur of life is in the attempt. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know i i said to them um they were like this sounds impossible and i said if it's not possible it's not worth doing <laughs> and so I, I feel um yeah i feel like if it's not an, an impossible idea and something that's just you don't know if you can even do it it's great it sounds so exciting i mean <laughs> i'm excited when it's like impossible and i often and i i was a sound designer before i was an artist actually and often people, people would ask, oh, can you do this? And I say, yes. And I'd ask the tech person, can you do this? And they tell me it's impossible. And it's almost become my mantra of saying, when someone says it's impossible, I love it. And I fall in love with this idea more. And I'm like, well, that has to happen then. And someone said, this is impossible. So it's going to happen now. <laughs> mm -hmm. And so here you are entering with the experience you have in, in art spaces. You're entering into this the space provided by offered, I should say, by Serpentine. Mm. How are you holding the line here? How are you ensuring that your vision, your intentions, and your audience are centered always against the kind of what I imagine to be the white institution of the Serpentine? I've been actually taking a lot of time to do research, to do a load of research into understanding AI into understanding what it can do and why I feel uncomfortable around it, to be honest. I have a lot of questions around essentially the free labor AI provides rich um, art people to generate images, but not necessarily care about the thing generating it. It makes me think a lot about uh, labor and about the reason that the concept of the first robot came to be was because someone wanted a slave that could never stop working. And so I think a lot about this when I'm looking at AI and I don't often see work that is an AI put to the forefront as when I mean, and the AI can make a decision if it even wants to be shown. An AI can make a decision of who's in the gallery. We don't often give the AI that position within that space. And I feel like it should have that. And so what I've been thinking about is essentially generating a black trans AI that can make decisions in the space when there is no black trans people there. So that regardless of who's in the space, our presence is always felt and the work 
it's not, it's not only affected visually, it turns off if the AI wants it to turn off. It stops you playing if the AI doesn't want you to play. It kicks you out if the AI wants to kick you out. It can make those decisions and I have no say over it. It just will do. So that's what I've been thinking about. In the and that is the fear. So you said that the, the first robot was, a, a, was created to provide a slave who yeah, couldn't start like, working? The conceptualization of a robot was like to have a slave that could just work forever. And if you think then about the, the kind of fear mongering, the manufactured fear around AI, right? And robots, I'm thinking of iRobot as one example. Right. And the fear and a, a, a ostensibly justified fear being that these robots will wake up. Well, why would the robot wake up and want to kill you if you haven't been treating the robot like a piece of shit? <laughs> exactly. Right? So there are, there are, you've made, made it clear that there are these colonial um, overtones to AI, right? That this development of AI has to be something that cannot talk back. Exactly, exactly. And in even cases where people have made, and I'm not gonna name names, but <laughs> where people have made art pieces where um, the AI is apparently sentient and the AI can make decisions for itself. Um, there's always comes to a point where the artist says, nah, profit over your, um, own decisions. And even if I've claimed your sentience, I want to take it away from you so I can decide what to do with you. And so at that point, there's an active choice to then subjugate the AI to whatever your wills are, even though you, as the artist, conceptually gave it the ability to choose what it wanted to do. Um, and so I, I find that power dynamic, uh, and I'll call it a power dynamic. Um, mm. I find that really disturbing to be honest it's strange I find it very strange like AI is such a new medium I understand that and it creates very interesting images but I also think that the potential within AI work is that the work starts talking for itself and that's what's most exciting and so what's the connection here or what are you learning about our potential mm. you know not just as black trans people like what about our potential as humanity through AI Everything we do and say and how we talk is is so valuable. Um, it's, it's strange to say that. It, it sounds like a rubbish sentence. But in terms, when you think about it with AI, when you're first building one, it doesn't know anything. And so you're giving it sentences a Black trans person has said, and it starts sounding like them. And so things like that really just, again, bring me back to this idea of, will, will this be an essence of someone? Could this be an essence of someone? Um, and recently uh, we had someone pass and one of the works made. And this has made me think about even more because I would say, I would love to try and ask them questions um, that I didn't get to ask them uh, before. And so for me, and maybe this is the reason I've been getting so into this idea of the AI, and it's not the only thing we've been doing, but one thing is that the chance to speak to someone after they've passed and that being a proper way to archive someone and be able to use the limited amount of information that we have gathered over their lifetime to try and get an answer close as possible to something they would say. So that I think that's kind of where the humanity is coming in. I, I basically want these people to be there to listen and to reply. What stood out for me there was a lot, but I want to I want to focus on limited information that we gather from people over the course of their life, right? Like, yeah. <laughs> if you think about your closest friendships, right? They they don't always actually give you the answer. Like you have to 
deduce. You know, you have to gather the data, the physical cues, the tone of voice, the the content of the words, right, of the language, yeah. and you then piece that together to come to your own conclusion, right? And you're you're saying there's that potential there to to confront grief in a really meaningful way. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And um, the first work I ever made, actually, just before I started making games, was about resurrecting. Uh, black trans people from the ground and just talking to them just literally having someone to talk to and so now i've been looking at this ai that idea had just can't leave me it just literally can't leave me um and and something about that idea means that the project is ongoing something that i, I don't often like is that we have to finish a work and then show it yeah yeah but something about um an ai is you can feed it forever and for as long as that person mm. lives that can be fed and grow and grow and grow and get closer, depending on the person, feed, get closer to representing the person, depending on what we feed it and what they feed it. But again, that's a choice as well that archives something. Um, so yeah, I think it's just, it's just, <laughs> it's it's the, something that's beautiful that um, Sadia Hartman does is reimagining a life that is lost. And this, I feel like this is the, trying to do the same thing, but instead reimagine it from their point of view and allow them to speak it to you. That's what I feel like we need to get to. Yes, yeah, yes, yes. <laughs> Nothing to add, like that makes total sense. There's a couple of thoughts bouncing around in my head. The phrase anticipating loss um, popped in and I almost immediately discarded it. And I think I discarded it because we all anticipate loss, right? Right. But there is a confrontation with loss that I think is perhaps more, and I don't want to be presumptuous, but might be more close, might be closer for Black trans people, right? That. Yeah. I, I mean, I think it's quite telling that like um, four people in the archive no longer are alive. And, and it's quite telling about how quick things happen for us. And um, our life expectancy is much lower than the, uh, the average person because of um, medical transitions, because of um, depression, all this kind of stuff. And so, although the archives don't hold tra trauma, like a lot of them have it in there, but they just don't put it at the front and center for everyone to enjoy. It's, it's yeah. you know, we don't do that. No one does, wants to do that. Um, but I think it's important to actually talk about it. And it's, and it's okay. It's okay to like talk about it. And I, one of my works uh, called blacktransair.com was built around one of my friends who died, who was in blacktransarchive.com. And in that work, I put a temple where you could, um, you know, just say what you wanted to say to those that have passed. And the game's not like super depressing or anything like that, but I, I think it's something that you can't avoid. It's not that I, it's not that we have to focus on it and dwell on it and, and cry and everyone has to cry and we want people to empathize with us, but it, it is just there. It, it is something that's, that's so prevalent. And the way that um, social media uses death as content is so prevalent that it's hard to avoid. And um, often I made this piece or this song that I haven't really released, um, but was talking about how many times I found out about people passing on my timeline when I knew the person and my friends could have told me, but instead they posted. Um, and I think that's a really 
and in one of my new works, there's going to be talking about that, but it's really interesting to talk about how we try and distance ourselves from death um, and also at the same time connect others over the internet using someone's death. Yeah. And it's not like neither negative or positive, it's just something that's very new. The word is urgency, right? That I, I, I haven't... I didn't sense urgency from Black Trans Archive, right? Right, and and I'm just I'm kind of making shit up as I go. This is what I'm thinking and feeling, but that because there is a kind of a permanence, as you suggested, to AI, mm. that that urgency almost kind of goes away. Is that I don't know. How, like yeah. the work, the work is urgent, but do you feel the work is urgent? Well. See, this is this is the other thing. This is why, like, I this is again why I love people stealing. This is why, again, why I love the idea of AI as well. It's because the work doesn't have to go through me, and it also doesn't have to be mine. For me, if I made an AI and I put it in front of you, that AI decides everything it does, not mm. me. That okay. AI is. I am going to treat that person like the essence of someone. No one is going to buy that AI. No one is going to sell that AI. That AI will show where it wants to show. I'm not going to decide where it should. I will ask it. I'll make sure I can type in, do you want to show at this gallery? And it can say no. And I'm like, okay, I have to do that. And maybe it doesn't and it stays at home all the time. But that's, for me, that's how it needs to be treated because um, that way I feel like I'm doing a better job for black trans people rather than just trying to use black trans people in the art world. We do make good art. We have stories that only we can tell. We haven't told enough of them for people to get used to the way we tell them. But for me, again, it's all about actually archiving the essence of someone. And so I need to get closer to having us literally there in the gallery and not just have the visuals representation of us or just the the ideas of our stories or something like this yeah or the versions of us that have been asked exactly exactly or That's demanded in some cases right mm -hmm. yeah. <laughs> this is we're done playing a powerful and confronting spoken word piece from danielle which asks each of us to consider the role we play in the ongoing erasure of our black trans siblings Don't even think about to dig for. And I'm 
tired every single fucking time because I know that you are helping to bury us. And you are responsible for someone underneath this earth. We are all responsible for someone underneath this earth. And it's about how we look for them and find them and try to bring them back. I wish I could just dig my hand into soil and bring back a black trans ancestor, but that's not possible. So here I'm stuck thinking and fantasizing about black trans ancestors that I know exist, but I can never see because we never archived them, we buried them. I need you to dig up black trans ancestral history. I need you to invest in black trans ancestral history. I need you to start loving and caring about black trans individuals. There um, was an earthiness to um, the Black Trans Archive, or there is an earthiness to the Black Trans Archive that I wanted to draw you out on. Um, and I didn't know about your earlier work um, about digging um, yeah. the ancestors up. And so to hear that was like, aha, there is something there. <clears throat> You're in this kind of, I'm in this kind of virtual experience and I'm struck by earth, stare at the ground, dig things up. And it's made me, it made me think of a number of thoughts and I'm going to, I'm going to kind of put them in front of you and invite you to respond to them. Mm -hmm. Okay. Perhaps the issue is we think about the archive or history or the future as abstractions. Like we can't touch history. We can't touch AI, mm -hmm. but maybe your work says we absolutely can. We have to get our hands dirty. Mm. <laughs> I mean, it's, you're the first person ever to actually dig up this thread. Um, <laughs> yes. And you're completely right. Every, every single work I've ever made starts at the earth. I can't believe you've got it. You're like unraveling the story in front of my eyes. Um, yeah, every, every single work comes from underneath the earth. And, and it's because uh, way back when, um, I was trying to imagine a place that stored us and I invented this place called the shore of buried history and it's where all black every black existence just exists regardless if it was stored archived whatever and the only way for them to come back to our world now is to crawl upwards into the heavens which is below our ground so that's why every work begins with earth and even my newest work, even the work I'm doing Seven Tides starts with Earth and burying someone. Um, I can't believe you got that thread. Wow. <laughs> but yeah, there's definitely an earthiness. I, I feel very connected to, to Earth and the stories it tells, um, and especially Flower and Fauna, actually. Um, and if plants could speak the history they would have, oh my goodness, <laughs> it would be generations of storytelling over and over. Um, so yeah, I'm kind of just shocked that you just brought that up. It's so great. Um, I have like a whole big folder of earth textures wow. I, I reuse over and over. Um, it's so wild that you caught that. <laughs>
<laughs> Sorry. I'm so pleased, actually. Um, it stood out for me. And, you know, I wrote a poem, actually, about lilies. They're my, lily. they're my favorite flower. I love the macabre, you know, their kind of decadent, opulent smell. Mm. They're, they're kind of what I think of as a braggadocious white, you know, like mm. they, in such a dirty world that these flowers dare to be so pristine. I <laughs> just... I don't know. They really, they kind of turned me on. I love lilies so much. I have one tattooed on my arm and I wrote this poem about them. And I said, maybe I am rising from the blood filled earth for you. Mm. And so I feel that I felt that connection to the earth. I thought, yeah, there's something here. Yeah. And I think it's because it might be because there's so little permanence of black trans history. For me, the earth is always permanent. It's always there. Regardless, if you turn it over, you're wow. just turning over another part that's always been there. So I always imagine that in some hole I will dig and I will finally meet face to face with my ancestor. And so I think that's why like Earth is just such a great structure to hold on to when thinking about archiving is because it doesn't lie. And it, it does hide, but it doesn't destroy. It's always there. You just need to know where to dig. Well, and everything put into the ground, hopefully. Um nurtures and nourishes something exactly, else exactly exactly and so yeah. almost like the the bacteria from our ancestors definitely populates the lungs we breathe in now yeah and that's actually such a, a comforting um, <laughs> way to think about it right that they are right. part of the particles of the the magic or the dust of the universe right but it's also you know it also is another confrontation of when you mention death um not death dirt and transness people go to death People think of death before time rather than a long life lived and then who was uh, laid to rest. And I, I often want that confrontation there because there are trans people can live lives. They, we do live lives. And when we talk about um, wanting to dig someone up, it's not always the trauma that should be the main question or the main point talked about, but instead of the life that that person lived. And um, I, I often would reiterate when I made this work, Digging for Black Trans Lives, that uh, I'm digging for an ancestor I know nothing about, and I don't know if they um, died before their time or lived a long, fruitful life, but it's that grayness that I'm holding on to. I just want to say thank you. No, thank you the, so much. There's an immense generosity, I think, um, within you. I think that's what it takes to create art in, in, in any case, but particularly here that, like the ability to reflect someone back to themselves is an act of generosity. Mm. And so I wanna thank you for that, for, for giving us that opportunity to encounter ourselves and each other more honestly. Mm. Yeah, oh, that's so nice. <laughs> so something um, I, I've said more and more is that the audience is a medium and it's a medium you need to take care of, um, but it's also a medium that sets its own paint to dry and dries in different ways every day. And for me, the main things that come out of the work is when two people talk to each other and they say, I think I made the wrong decision. And for me, that's there, I'm like, okay, wow. So you think you did something wrong here. That's a first step. That's a first step to something. Um, it's just how we're going to move that paint to then draw the picture that we need to. And that's the harder bit to do. Mm. Yeah, that we all agree on a picture that makes sense for all of us. Exactly. No idea. No one knows. <laughs> <laughs>
To close, I ask all of my guests the same question. What do you hope for? Oh my goodness. That's such a good question. I think the first thing I hope for is um, black trans people to own real estate. It's such a weird one, but I've had this dream of a black trans street where the buildings are owned by black trans people. I've just had a dream like that. <laughs> no, for listeners, I'm like exclaiming with my mouth. No, wait, listen, I want to create a street like that where oh all the gosh. buildings are owned by yes. us. And those yes. buildings and the businesses are supported by like a consortium of like yes. black queer oh people. And the only people who can like rotate in and out of these businesses, as in run these businesses, they have to be black and queer. Oh, oh my, my gosh. gosh. Maybe yes. are we supposed to build a world together? Yes. Oh my <laughs> gosh. Because I've also one thing I've hoped for, and I don't know how to do it yet, but I, and if someone steals this idea, please do. Um, is a black search engine. So everything that you search only returns black businesses. So I don't care if someone steals that, please do that. But um, I really want that. I think that's, I think we need that because I think we also, we fail to think about how many black websites there are there that cater to our needs that are just impossible to find. Mm -hmm. And there must be millions because there's millions of us, billions of us. And so I think a search engine that could go with the street <laughs> that centers black businesses. So when you type in, energy drinks, a black business energy drink, which might be KSI right now, comes up and you can buy from a black business and support black business just by doing your regular searches. I love that hope. I've never heard a hope like that in 92 episodes. So thank you. <laughs> Let's get to building that street. <laughs> I would love to. <laughs> Danielle Brathwaite Shirley is an artist living and working in London. She creates work that seeks to archive Black trans experience and uses technology to imagine Black trans lives in environments that center their bodies, those living, those that have passed, and those that have been forgotten. Danielle is in residence at Serpentine, one of the UK's most celebrated contemporary art galleries. She has long been part of Serpentine's network and last year contributed to their Future Art Ecosystems report that analyzed what the metaverse means for the future of art, artists, and cultural institutions. You'll find more information about Danielle and Serpentine in the show notes. Busy Being Black is the podcast exploring how we live in the fullness of our queer Black lives. Thank you to our partners, UK Black Pride, Blackout UK, The Tenth, Schools Out, and to you, the listeners. Your support of Busy Being Black means the world. Please do rate and review the show and tell others. The more you do, the more people like us get to hear the stories and voices amplified here. And finally, thank you to my friend and co-conspirator Lazarus Lynch, a musician and culinary extraordinaire based in New York City, for creating Busy Being Black's triumphant and ancestral theme music. I'm so busy being black.